I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Saturday School. It's been a while. <laughs> this is our haphazard season. I mean, we got busy. But we're back to talk about Asian American sci-fi. This is our eighth season. We're exploring not quite Asian Americans in Hollywood sci-fi, which there's a lot of good podcasts about. We're looking back at the history. We're looking at sci-fi films that have been created by Asian Americans. The scrappy sci-fi. I mean, this is scrappy and then they're scraps. <laughs> <laughs> which is i mean I, I mean that kind of a yeah a little bit derogatory way but how precious is it that we have scraps from i from know 1988 that we can talk about it's today. amazing yeah if you guys haven't been listening to this season we started with greg pock's robot stories i mean that's not scraps. that's not that's... scraps. that's good scrappy and then we went to the namju pick exhibit and today we're going back to the 80s 1988 a film called the Laser Man by Peter Wang. It could be cool. It's called Laser Man. <laughs> it's kind of cool. <laughs> it's kind of cool. All right. So Peter Back Wang up. is not Back just up. some random director at this point. No, right? no. Like he's just coming off the success of A Great Wall, which we, we talked about in a few seasons ago. Mm -hmm. And that was like a major American indie hit. He's also not a nobody in that he was an actor in Chan is Missing, directed by Wayne Wang. Mm, another classic. Another classic. So he's like, he's got a pretty important role in this burgeoning notion of Asian American cinema. And then he makes The Laser Man in 1988. <laughs> How do we begin to talk about this movie? It's so strange. Yeah, I love it. So let's describe Peter Wang as a person and actor and presence first. In this movie. Yeah, but I feel like he was like the chef in Chan is Missing, right? right. And he was also in Great Wall. He's an immigrant, right? So he has like an accent. But he's like a fast talker. Yeah, it's like an immigrant that you don't see in the mainstream media ever, right? Because he's really loose. He's like making all these jokes, totally dad jokes. But he's cool. Yeah, yeah, d definitely. And, and, and he's very memorable in Chan is Missing. Yeah. And in The Great Wall, he's able to show that, you know, like young Chinese Americans, like there is a kind of coolness. Of course, they compare that coolness to people backwards in China, but... It's okay. Um, <laughs> and then in The Laser Man, I think the cool is coming out through, maybe through sci-fi actually, right? Yeah. We don't have to just make movies about intergenerational conflict. And yeah, even by the 80s, he's the older generation. Like in The Great Wall, he's the father. Yeah. And then in The Laser Man, he's like this detective. He sure is. This irreverent detective. Like the movie begins with him... Kind of, it's almost like a Namjoon Peck situation, right? He's on, like, on this TV and it's got like a, is it a Buddha next to him? Or some kind of like oriental music in the background. He's the narrator. You know, it's very tough to be a crime fighter. In like a very film noir kind of way, right? This is sort of like Sam Spade or something, like in a film noir, the detective is narrating what's happening. This is Arthur Wise. He is supposedly an excellent laser scientist. But a bit enthusiastic, to say the least. He's also obsessed with like Chinese philosophy. I'm not convinced any of his sayings are actually Chinese idioms, but am I wrong about this? No, there are some that made me think twice, for sure. Because they're, <laughs> they're, they're irreverent. And, 
And maybe it's just like Americans aren't going to know. <laughs> I just totally made something up that Confucius never would have said. A lot of them, I'm like, I bet he just made it up. I don't have any proof of this. Yeah, I think there are things in there that don't sound real. <laughs> but one must be patient. As patient as a pensive virgin. And as nimble as a running rabbit. He had one about like excessive knowledge is worse than too much MSG. You're losing the potency and you get scared. I was like, this is not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure Confucius didn't say that. But it's like the um, that Confucius say fortune cookies where you know like... Is this, who is this for? Like, did, he, <laughs> did somebody in the fortune cookie factory just make this up? And so he's kind of that guy. It's for Asian Americans, right? This movie? I don't. I don't know if this is even for human beings. This movie. It's so strange. <laughs> I think it's for us. It's for aliens. <laughs> I think it's for us. I mean, it's it's very amusing to me, and I'm, I. But part of me is I'm I'm like shuddering, thinking how anybody else would watch this in 1988. Really. Uh, maybe a little bit. Okay, but we should go back and say what it is. Yeah. We should go back and try to give a plot. Well, I, mean, I think this is all still good because so much of this is about character and not really about plot anyway. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh-huh. And and we should acknowledge from the beginning that there are ways to watch this, but most likely you will not be able to watch it. So we're going to tell you about it. Yeah, yeah. There will be spoilers. But also like, I don't know what spoilers really do in a movie like this. It's almost like saying like SNL has spoilers, right? It's just <laughs> just a bunch of gags. <laughs> like there's a spoiler for the Bowen Wang iceberg sketch. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it ends in song. <laughs> yeah. So so this character, he's a he's a lieutenant. Like at some point he's like smoking. Like he just like fires up a pipe that I don't think is tobacco. He's like that Charlie Chan. You don't look at him and be like, oh, he's a wise Chinese detective. He's a jokester, pretty random jokester. But he, like, but his big thing is he's skeptical of Western technology and he likes Oriental philosophy. <laughs> that that's his thing. Oh, and he's also really into Judge D, who is like this like legendary mythological Chinese figure, like historical figure, who was recently made famous in Choi Hark's Detective D series starring Andy Lau. He doesn't like technology yet. He's still like big on like made in USA like surveillance tools. Anyway, it's very strange. Okay, there's another character. Mark Hayashi plays Arthur. Mark Hayashi was also in Chan is Missing. It was kind of cool to see him as a lead in a movie. Yeah, the titular lead. He is the laser man. Yeah, okay, so he's a scientist. Who loses his job because a laser experiment resulted in the explosion of his assistant. (laughs) There's like an (laughs) accidental murder in the first like five minutes of the movie. It was like a... It's safe to have this laser in my eyeball, right? He's like, yeah. And then he explodes. And then there's a fire. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, no, I killed somebody. And then he's quickly put on trial and let off because it's an accident. And um, logic does not play a huge role in any of this. No. So we're just throwing that out the window. Yeah. But I feel like you feel that from the beginning, so you forgive a lot of it. The detective sets the stage for this not going to make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. So basically, he's like, you know, this very um, revered scientist, his project goes awry, and then he's suddenly unemployed and unemployable. Like, no one's really hiring any scientists. If you went on a public trial for manslaughter. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Well, until twist. Yeah. This is when the movie plot begins, I guess. He gets hired by a mysterious company. Yeah. 
who are really interested in his, his lasers. technology. Not only his technology, but perhaps the fact that it can kill people. And he has killed somebody with this technology before. That was an accident. I, I was cleared in court. It, it, it was an accident, a stupid mistake. Accident or mistake is exactly where we hired you. I guess that's what makes it sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, you'll t- yeah, I guess so. Because also, like, there's a little bit of it that is about, like, very 1980s kind of technology as warfare. Mm. They refer to Star Wars at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Star Wars, not the movie, but Star Wars, like, the military program. Um, and the people who hire him, they look shady. It's just a bunch of men in suits. It's like older white men in suits, right? Yeah, yeah. They just look like the kind of people who are working with the wrong people. Mm-hmm. Like maybe the military, maybe they're like shady part of the government, maybe they're spies, like who knows. They look like stock corporate bad guys in 80s movies. Yes. But let's talk about how this movie sets up identity. <laughs> right. Like, okay, at work, only Asian guy, right? Mm-hmm. And then at home, also... <laughs> <laughs> I, freak, I can't believe I was almost not going to talk about this. Yeah, go ahead, please. We're in the 80s. <laughs> I don't know if that's an excuse for what you're about to say. <laughs> Just contextualization. Yeah. Um, so I think he's adopted into a Jewish family. It's unclear. Like, they don't even answer that question if he's adopted or not, or if this is just some kind of magical miracle birth. Or if it's like a Brandy Cinderella situation. Maybe, yeah. (laughs) His mom is a Jewish woman who I looked her up, Joan Copeland. Do you know her? No. Sister of Arthur Miller. Oh. (laughs) She plays a Jewish mother who believes she is Chinese. Like, she's always wearing, like, Chinese outfits. Yeah. <laughs> she's always telling her son to be more Chinese, to, like, marry a Chinese woman. She does Tai Chi. A very strange Tai Chi that's, like, just reaching up into the air. There's a lot of that. <laughs> and she's on the board of the Chinese Association. <laughs> right. She's probably the most active member. So his sister is a white woman who I think her mother s- set up with a Chinese man. Right. Tony Leung. This is the other Tony Leung. Tony Leung Kafai. Not Wang Karwai, Shang-Chi. Nobody calls him Shang-Chi, Tony Leung. Nobody listening to this will think of Tony Leung from Shang-Chi, but just in case is, somebody random yeah. is listening to this. The other Tony Leung. Do you want to, like, who's the other Tony Leung? Yeah, the other Tony Leung. Um, he was, I guess in the West, he's famous for being in a movie called The Lover, which is this French movie from the 90s. I mean, he's unfortunately named Tony Leung because people always call him, like, Small Tony. <laughs> But he's like, he's a good actor. And he's not that small. The other one's probably smaller, right? Definitely, yeah. <laughs> in stature, but, but not in hotness. A smaller place in our hearts. Smaller and smolder. He's also, he's very good looking too. Oh, he is. That's true. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's just like you're too comparing to the other Tony Lang. It's too, too much. Yeah, too much. Right. Anyways, so he's in this. So he plays Arthur, who's Mark Hayashi character. The brother-in-law. He's the brother-in-law of the laser man. That's all you need to know. And then there's a subplot, a sub-sub-subplot of him <laughs> and his own romantic interest. And he meets on the street a, a woman from Asia, played by Sally Yeh. Oh! Just, like, legendary figure from Hong Kong cinema. She was in Picking Opera Blues, directed by Choi Hark. She was in John Woo's The Killer, which is probably how I know her best. I mean, you've probably heard her pop songs before. <laughs> Yeah, 
So the thing for me, like, I was so excited to see her in this movie because she's actually, is she from Canada? Oh, I didn't know that. English is her first language. And so I was hoping that they would play that up in this movie, but, but no, no. no, they just treat her like, they, call, they even call her the FOB in this movie. What's the relationship between Asian American cinema and Hong Kong cinema at this time? Well, so that's what makes this movie so fascinating. Or even like Peter Wang in general, because A Great Wall was famously the first American feature film that was shot in China. So he's like this bridge. And so this film is also a bridge. And this direct, this film is produced by Choi Hark. I did not realize that. What? Or he's executive produced. Yeah. How is that? Tell people who Choi Hark is and why I'm very confused by this. <laughs> Chuck is like the Steven Spielberg of Hong Kong, like a prolific, innovative entertainer, the producer of film like the Chinese Ghost Story series or Better Tomorrow, um, but director of things like Picking Opera Blues. And the Laser Man. <laughs> and he executive produced Laser Man. So I don't know how involved he was. But the other thing that's interesting about about Troy Hark was, you know, he's the founder of Asian Cinevision, or one of the founders of Asian Cinevision, along with Christine Choi. Christine Choi, the documentarian? Yeah. So Holy this is shit. In the 1970s. In the 70s? How did this happen? So Choi Hark went to UT Austin for film school in the 1970s. <laughs> what? <laughs> so there's a really interesting connection between um, Hong Kong cinema, also Taiwan cinema, and, and Asian American cinema because of all of these figures. And, and it was just a small scene at this time. And it's not like, a, like Asian American cinema was so built up that like they were so institutionalized as, well, no, must be American. No, it's like... You're around, please help us. Like Ang Lee, like is also one of these figures too. Like he's not necessarily an Asian American in the way we traditionally think about it, but he was based in the United States. He comes from Taiwan. Like, but he's Asian American the same way that Peter Wang is Asian American, right? Right. Yeah. And so Peter Wang also he ended up going back to Taiwan a few years later to make a uh, feature called The First Date. Um, so he himself sort of this transnational Asian American figure. Wow, that is so fascinating. At the same time, like maybe because of all of this, he just felt completely liberated to just do whatever the hell he wanted in the United States. I think that's what it was, right? I think, you know, that you do Chan is missing. Uh -huh. I mean, not that he was the director. Was Wayne Wang involved in any of this? Wayne Wang himself is also kind of transnational in the sense that he often cast people from Asia, like Joan Chen. He's one of the first people to cast Joan Chen in anything. Cora Miao, who was his wife. And he also, he made work in in hong kong too wow so this this is this early period of asian american cinema like yeah there's the vc stuff which is very rooted very local but there's also other trends especially anybody working in feature films like you're likely getting some influence from, from asia money yeah i totally get this though right like you do a chan is missing then you do a a great wall and it's just like too much being like a pillar of <laughs> Asian American excellence, too much pressure of creating this thing that doesn't even exist, and then sort of being held to this standard. And then what you really want to do, though, is this detective parody. Wacky detective thing with the guy who does lasers and might kill people with movie stars in it. I feel like the laser man, it's still like Peter Wang's character's from those classics but you just give him his own movie right and you're just letting him play dress up for a bit as opposed to 
you must represent somebody real from our world. And that's kind of back to this season, right? Like, yeah, what are yeah. the possibilities? For us, exploring sci-fi is less about Marvel movies and more about, like, how are people imagining our future or just imagining different possibilities for ourselves. And I think sometimes I sort of think of it as just, like, breaking out of these boxes and how far can you go outside of the box, <laughs> right? Oh, he goes pretty out there. <laughs> But but like so so maybe the Troy Hark thing is useful because this film is sort of like his Troy Hark film. Like Troy Hark films are often known to be a mix of everything. You have a little comedy, a little action, you have a little tragedy. It's just weird stew. And this is not as successful of a stew. It tastes <laughs> a little bit weird like Arthur's Jewish Chinese mom's matzo ball soy sauce soups. Um, <laughs> but it is like it's a daring concoction. Yeah, and maybe it actually feels more real. Right, because it's sort of like in the spirit of the way people actually talk as opposed to what they're trying to represent. Exactly. At the same time, I mean, there are things in here that I feel like are significant to thinking about Asian American reality, or at least like professional reality, right? He's somebody who's, he's a, the only Chinese, only Asian person working at this lab. He may be otherized in a certain way. And I wonder if like this shady corporation hires him because he's Asian. He's both smart and we can like extract his scientific knowledge but we can also dispose him as we need yeah there's a line that's very like you're an example of the best part of our educational system one day you'll be replaced by a robot you designed (laughs) (laughs) right it's a total bond villain line yeah yeah yeah. but that's kind of like the even if it's not explicitly racial, that's kind of tied to, you know, like the anxieties of robot stories. You know what I mean? Like all the stuff that we've been talking about this season, like these factory workers in Asia that are replaceable. Right. It's like these are dis- replaceable, disposable parts. So it's about race under capitalism. But this movie is also... <laughs> about killer lasers. Killer lasers. It's also about an obsession with white women. There's a whole lot of... Like, there's so many strange white women in this movie. Like, as romantic interests. Oh, yeah, because he also dates another white woman. Wait, wait. Is she also explicitly into... Yes. So both his mom is this Jewish woman into Chinese stuff. And then he starts going out with this white woman who's obsessed with, like, Japanese meditation. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> he was the one who was like, what is this? And she's like, you need to calm down and meditate. According to this Japanese guru I follow. Yeah, it's really going to fix your whole situation. And he was just like, what the hell is all of this? Yeah, because she's also making the case that I can have better sex through meditation. Oh, yeah. Then he's like, okay, <laughs> I'm on board. That, where does that leave me? <laughs> But just stuff like that. Like, this is the kind of movie that has a bunch of weird, culture-clashy moments. Oh, for sure, yeah. That sometimes that don't, don't look good. Nope. <laughs> but, but, but show a certain kind of, like, promiscuous weirdo-ness, like, gonzo-ness, that somehow the sci-fi genre unlocks. Um, <laughs> and it looks kind of like a really bad 80s music video. Like, like the lasers look like they could be from bad 80s music videos. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, there is like an obsession with technology in this movie, like because I mean we talked about in, in our first week on this season about techno orientalism and this like Hollywood's association of technology with Asian people. But so it's nice to see like Asian people kind of laughing at technology in this movie. Yeah, there's stuff that's so dumb that it, it's like, is it so dumb that it's funny or is it so dumb that it's not funny anymore? Yeah, he bugs the office <laughs> with a little ladybug. <laughs> 
<laughs> and there's another bug that happens like when he's he's getting suited up. He's got like his wire on him, and it's like the worst wire because the detectives like we must go with like made in USA stuff, even though it was made in the 1950s. Because there's like a situation where you know the detectives they put a what's it called like a wire a wire on him, and it's so bulky. <laughs> And this whole thing is just like, everyone's so hapless. It's clear there's something under his shirt. It looks like he has like a walkie-talkie pasted to his chest. I know, and he's like, oh, I almost got caught. And meanwhile, like, this lieutenant is obsessed with, like, Chinese thumb cuffs. <laughs> just like some kind of, like, weird... It's, it's almost like, you know, like, Chinese torture, thumb torture things. Yeah, like a handcuff for your fingers. Yeah. But, like, it's in a way that's not in that Charlie Chan-ish, wise Chinese man kind of way. It's just like in a pothead sort of way <laughs> like yes this is a little bit of a pothead movie yeah 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 this movie would probably be more interesting if you, you were under the influence of something <laughs> I, 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 yeah although i do like watching it under the influence of needing to do a podcast episode about it oh yeah yeah, yeah. that was fun i i appreciated it yeah because i get to write down notes like this movie is so random that in the middle of the climactic action pursuit the detective, everyone's waiting for him to give him orders. And he just starts drinking water at a water fountain and it just goes on forever. He's just <laughs> drinking and he looks up and he goes back to drinking his water and he does this like three times. And like the guy standing next to him is like, what's going on? Like, are you still drinking? But this is the climactic action scene. <laughs> like, why, why does this need to be there? I know, it's so good though. I feel like I really appreciate it. That's why I feel like, honestly, I watched it. I feel like that's... That's the lens that I watched it in that made it really entertaining where I was just like, this is just Peter Wang messing with us. And like you're inside the joke or you're outside the joke. And like it doesn't take that much to be inside the joke. Basically, you just accept that he's messing with people. (laughs) The question is, is the joke that funny? But that's okay. I'm, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. It's 1988. I think maybe if it was 1988, it wouldn't be that funny. But it's 2021. Oh, right, right, right. I see. And you're like, wow, this happened in 1988. I found a lot of it really funny. Just looking at the credits of this movie, Choi Hark is the executive producer. The cinematographer is Ernest Dickinson. Like, he shot this right before he did Do the Right Thing with Spike Lee. Really? (laughs) The title song is by Ryuichi Sakamoto, like one of the legendary avant-garde pop composers from Japan. (laughs) The second unit assistant director is Christine Vachon, who like one of the like great in- indie producers of of the current moment. What does she produce? Like Boys Don't Cry. Like she's <laughs> like a, a major independent independent producer. But I just like all these people in 1988 hanging out on Peter Wang's set with some like terracotta statues next to a TV, where this like inane crime fighting detective is smoking something. <laughs> It's so, it's so good. And so anytime anyone says, you know, like Asian America in, in the mainstream, like this is new, we should be so lucky with what we have now. It's like, were we lucky in 1988? I'm not sure, but it, <laughs> it happened. This, this happened. How, how big, okay, can you give us a sense of like, now a lot of these people are big and I'm sure they were like at least emerging at the time, but like how big were they? Was it like Spielberg? hanging out on a set like this or was it like 
Daniel Destin Critton when he was still doing Short Term 12, where it's like, okay, you look at Short Term 12 and it's like, wow, everyone there is really famous. But at that time, they weren't like the Brie Larson. Oh, Short Hark in 1988. This would be like Steven Spielberg after Jurassic Park. Like it's... <laughs> Soy Hark at the height of his power. And Salier was already like, huge as an actress and as a pop star what about tony young cafe um he wasn't international yet so he was still starting out but he was in stuff like he was in famous movies like prison on fire okay what about all the hollywood people though they were not famous well i mean like so like ernest dickinson in 1988 i mean he was like an up-and-coming person in black cinema in the 1980s like i think he shot eddie murphy's raw oh i mean so he was like around like music videos I mean, this is probably just a paycheck to him. <laughs> but, uh, so he wasn't he wasn't legendary yet. Obviously, neither was um, Christine Vachon. She was just the second unit assistant director. But Ryuichi Sakamoto he was huge, scoring major movies. Wow. I could kind of see that, like, even if you're, like, really big in Asia, sort of like, what is going on in America? This, like, burgeoning thing. It's, like, an interesting experiment, right? Yeah. And because... Peter Wing had these Asia connections, like he could probably get them in a way that other Asian American filmmakers might not be able to. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting indeed. All of which to say, like people should check this out. I mean, at least sit with it for a few minutes. Yeah, I'm so impressed that we're providing interesting historical information. I wasn't sure where we were going to go with this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Neither was I, really. But I learned so much. We should also mention, like, the kid is really good in this. Like, where do they find the kid who plays the laser man's son? It's just, like, this kid who, if I saw this in 1988, I would have loved this kid. Like, he would have been the person I wish I was. Like, kind of a brat. But he's, like, really charismatic. You have to wonder, like, what kind of career he could have had in a different period. He totally would have been in Fresh Off the Boat. Oh, for sure. That's the thing, actually. I feel like watching this movie, even though none of it made sense, and you kind of understand that it's just this like insane mix of stuff that is just funny now, but maybe didn't quite work back then. I feel like all the performances are pretty good. If it were a different time, they would have starred in more movies. Did you feel like that? Yeah, yeah, totally. In the United States, right? Like, I totally wish Sally Ye was able to be an Asian American film. She could have been a really important figure, the way like someone like Joan Chen is. Yeah. But I'm yeah. looking at yeah, the actor who plays the kid in. Laser Man. His other three roles around this time was in a movie called Golden Ninja Warrior, another one called American Shaolin. So, like, that's the kind of stuff that he was in. And even um, Mark Hayashi, right? Other than his role in emerging Asian American cinema with Wing Wing and these folks, his other roles were like Karate Kid 2 or something like that. Karate Kid 2, yeah. He was an early member of the Asian American Theater Company. Oh, nice. San Francisco. But I will say, there aren't movies like Laser Man being made now. They're not? <laughs> not really. Or maybe, or... Not, not, not in quite like this brazen... Th this movie has a lot of confidence to it. Oh. You think we're lacking confidence? Confidence to be weird. I don't think there's a lot of confidence to be weird in Asian American cinema today. There's a lot of confidence to be... to, to represent. Yeah, confidence to represent, confidence in artistry. That's, these are good things. We need some confidence to be weird, though. Yeah, there's not, there's not a whole lot of that. Really? Was there, like, previously, though? Do you think there's fear to be weird? There are acceptable paths now, and they don't involve Asian Americans making Laser Man movies. What are the acceptable? Well, like, for instance, Minari is very acceptable. Yeah. The Farewell is very acceptable. Yeah. But what about Abigail Harms? Correct, right? So you could totally see, like, Liasic Chung is capable of being kind of on the strange side, but the path does not really include that. The current path. 
I mean, like, it's like Ji Young Lee and Patrick Wang. They make weird movies. H.P. Mendoza. Yeah. Yeah, so we should, you should watch this if you're able to. I remember this was once on YouTube. I don't think it's currently on YouTube. There are ways to find it online. Just put that out there. Otherwise, I don't think this was even ever put on a DVD. There was definitely a VHS tape because the version we watched is a VHS rip. So we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Whoever is listening to this, be confident to be weird. Yep, it may not work. (laughs) Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that feature stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our logo is by Grace Talis Lee. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. Check out our website at SaturdaySchoolPodcast.com, or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G. Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N. And the podcast Twitter handle is WakeUpSatSchool. Class dismissed. Hi, I'm Quincy Cho. And I'm Kay Khan Apu. And we host Marvel Makeup. It's a podcast where I teach Quincy a little about Marvel. And I teach Kay a little bit about makeup. Join us as we watch and talk about every movie and TV show in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which I'm mostly watching for the first time. And join us as we apply makeup stuff to our faces, which I'm using for the first time. Marvel Makeup is part of the Potluck Podcast Collective, and you can find new episodes every other Monday wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can catch video versions of Marvel Makeup on our YouTube channel. So please rate, review, and subscribe. And please give us five stars so our Asian moms will understand why we buy so much electronic equipment. Because it's for this podcast, Marvel Makeup.